I, I have to confess one of the biggest sin issues that I have is being right. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I think there, there's stages of this whole being right thing is that uh, I was probably trained that way. Um, people around me that, you know, you just have to be right. And so as I became a parent, a parent, I came to the conclusion that in my house, when you were wrong, you had to say, uh, you're right and I am wrong. So I had to literally train myself to say I'm wrong on occasion, uh, which, is, which was a big step. And so then you're always like trying to prove yourself right. That's typically an opinion. And then you get to the point where, okay, I don't have to prove myself right. And then you just kind of shut up and know that you're right. Uh, if you know what I'm saying. And then I think you can get to a point where you go, it doesn't even really matter. There's things that matter and there's things that don't matter. And it's kind of what you were saying, Matt. Um, uh, what really matters. And I say all that to say this is where Paul is in, as he's wrapping up his letter to the church at Corinth. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last part of it. Next week is 16. It's kind of his conclusion and um, so long. I'll see you again, and uh, his transition into Romans. So we're almost there to Romans. But as he finishes up 15, I think he kind of says, I have opinions about it all. I think they're right. They may be right. I don't necessarily have to share them with you. But let's stay focused. Let's stay focused. So this is where we are. When we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, he's been talking, we left off last week, about a resurrection. If Jesus never resurrected from the dead, then everything that we're doing here this morning at Pinheads is worthless. Like the whole reason we're here in this room is because we're a group of people that believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He came perfect. He lived a life, He lived the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law. He was then made the sacrifice for our sins. His blood was poured out. He died, He was buried, He rose again. I say this every week, but that's just that's the creed that in this room we believe. That's the common denominator in this room. And that when he died, he rose again, he went to heaven, he sat by the Father, and they sent this spirit to dwell inside of the believers. That's you. There's a spirit that dwells inside of the believers. All right? So when he's saying all that, we believe that, if it didn't happen, what are we here for? If that's the case, you're saying that resurrection's not possible. The Sadducees believed there was no resurrection, there was no afterlife, but 
if you're saying that that can't happen when we know that it did because we have 500 witnesses. So he picks up, verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? That's one of the most confusing verses in the whole Bible right there. It's been debated. Uh, because baptism, here's what I believe, based upon my understanding of the 66 books in the Scripture, baptism of believers has been debated whether it's essential or non-essential for salvation. And maybe even in this context, for the future resurrection of the body. So, is baptism essential for salvation? I don't believe that it is. I believe it's a non-essential. I think it's something that Jesus commanded us to do, and we can sit here and go through the Scripture and all that, but that's not where we are today. I believe it is something that He told us to do as a testimony of our faith, that we are buried, our old life is buried, and then we're raised as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the whole symbolism of baptism. Baptism does not save you. The only thing that saves you is your belief that you believe. It's not a prayer. It's not coming forward to the altar. It's not kneeling and saying a prayer with the pastor. It's, it's, not, it's simply that you believe what we just talked about. And so there's this problem in the Corinth church. There's actually record of them of vicariously baptizing living believers for the sake of those who have already died, who have already died, and they're wanting to do a proxy baptism for those that have dead. So people are, who are alive are being baptized for the dead people. I'm getting baptized for this person who has already died. That is literally in the history books of the Corinth church. We have record of that. Didn't happen in all the other churches, but they're in Corinth. And so literally, Paul's going, what are you doing? We know this, that salvation is a personal matter that each decides for himself. And secondly, nobody needs to be baptized to be saved. So Paul is questioning them. Verse 30, it says, Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day. Some of your translations say, I die daily. I face death every day, as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he says, I die daily, or I face death every day, he's not talking about what he writes in Romans chapter 6, where he's talking about dying to himself, but he's talking about there's a physical danger to this whole thing. Like, I've put my life on the line for this message of the gospel. He says in verse 32, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You've said it before. We've all said it. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Where did that come from? Where did that originate from? Well, 
if it's bold print in your Bible, that means that he probably quoted it from an Old Testament passage. You go to that Old Testament passage, which is Isaiah 22, 13. It's there. Isaiah said it. Well, where did Isaiah say it? He's literally saying it's a philosophical term that was used at that time. So Isaiah is quoting it from something that everybody said. When the, the Israelites were about to be attacked by the Babylonians, they were all saying that. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we're going to die. And so Paul's literally saying here, if the dead are not raised, if there's not a resurrection, let's just go ahead and eat and drink and be done with this whole church thing. But the resurrection is true. And Jesus is coming again. I guarantee it. Even if we die before he comes, we shall be raised as coming and stand before him in this glorified body. Paul's simply arguing right here, ad hoc, from the things actually that are happening and making the point that the reason people participate them and tolerate them and accept them, rightly or wrong, is because there's hope for a life to come. They believe and they're doing these crazy things because they are looking into the future and they have great hope for the future. They know that Jesus is coming back. And so they're going to do everything that they can to make it happen. It's not much different today. If people have great hope for the future, they do anything they can to make it happen. We even saw that this week. Verse 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, I did youth ministry for 15 years and I was also a parent of teenagers and I think that the thing that I always said is you know the parents always want the youth minister to say hey hang out with the church people and not the, the secular people you know because they can corrupt you and everything else and I think that I always took the the understanding that if the, a teenager understands their identity in Christ, if you understand your identity in Christ, Bren, not picking on you, but you're sitting right here, if you understand your identity in Christ, you're going to impact those that are around you. LJ, you're going to impact those that are around you rather than them impacting you. If you can do that, hang out with them. If you're confident in your, who you are in Christ, hang out with them. Well, I look at the teenagers, but I look at the whole room of adults and say the exact same thing. Hang out with the world. Impact the world. But if they're impacting you, better watch out. Better watch out. Because it'll happen. Just because everyone else is do it, doing it, it doesn't make it right. I mean, you just think about all the things that are acceptable today that probably were not acceptable when we were kids, right? 
Think about it. Marijuana is coming to Indiana. 20, 30 years ago, that, would, that wouldn't even been a thought. It's coming to our country. That's just one. I, I just picked one right out of the air. It happens. It creeps up on us. There's this, this mob mentality that everyone else is doing it, then it's okay. And that's literally what Paul's saying here. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you continue to hang out, it's going to impact what you do. I, you know, I'm not going to speak about political things, but the whole mob mentality that you saw this week is like, there's some bad people, but there was a lot of good people. And they thought, because everybody else is doing it, it's okay to do. And they're finding out today they've lost their jobs. That it wasn't okay. But they thought it was because everybody else was doing it. You didn't think about it at the moment. And literally, Paul's saying that. He's like, come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. He's saying, quit living your life by the way of the world. Quit getting in worldly arguments. It's what Matt was saying up here about, you going to argue about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Or are you going to talk about life? I, I'm going to live in a world that's facing a pandemic. I can't avoid that. I'm going to live in a political world that finds itself greatly divided. I can't divide. I, I can't. I can't avoid that. But that doesn't mean it has to become my world. It doesn't. Especially in my discussions. I'm convinced that whole right and wrong thing that my opinion is not going to change the world. I can put my opinion out there, but it's not going to change the world. My participation in protests and discussions and rallies and social network feeds, it's not going to change the world. But my servanthood... My love for God, my love for others, it's probably going to greatly impact those around me. There's a difference. I can't change the world, but I can greatly impact those around me just by what Jesus did, which was coming to serve, love them, care about them. I, I, if I want them to, this is kind of demented, but if I want them to behave properly, if I want them to behave properly and I think I'm right, then why wouldn't I tell them about Jesus? Why wouldn't I? Why do I have to tell them how to behave? If I just teach them about Jesus, if I just teach them about how Jesus came to serve, how Jesus came to love, and it's his responsibility to change their heart, to transform them, not mine. 
Why wouldn't I just tell them about Jesus? You see, Paul went so far, he's like, I say this to your shame because in those days, public shame was a huge deterrent. Deterrent. It, it just it caused them to think about it. Today, that's common. Shaming people is like an everyday event. Verse 35, it says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? This is a typical question even for today. Everyone wants to know what the future holds. Everybody in this room wants to know, how's, how's the end times going to play out? They were asking Jesus that back in the Gospels. When you talk about the end times, Jesus, what's it going to look like? When are you coming back? What's going to happen to us? It's the same questions that you guys ask today. What is going to happen? What does it look like? And this is where I, I, I love what Paul's, how he responds to him. He says, you fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. You see what Paul did there? He didn't answer their question. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know, so he's like, you fools... You're totally thinking about something that you don't need to be thinking about. We don't know what it looks like. Have you ever planted an unknown seed? Has anybody ever planted an unknown seed and just waited to see what you get out of it? That's kind of what's happening right here as we walk this earth. Verse 38 says, but but God gives it a body as he wants. And to each of the seeds, it's its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. He just goes on this tangent right here about all the different subjects in the world that we've determined to be or have bodies. He's like, uh, if you guys want to talk about bodies, let's talk about bodies. Who's the creator of bodies? Well, first of all, God created humans. He created uh, both male and female. He created big, small. He created ethnicity. He created all these things. God's the creator. He's pretty creative when it comes to us in this room. But if you go beyond that, he also created animals. He created two-legged animals, four-legged animals. What's a millipede? How many legs? Uh, you, he's created all sorts of animals, but then you got fish as well. Fish, like, if you want to talk about bodies, okay, let's even go further. There's the heavenly bodies. There's the moon. There's the sun. There's the stars, there's galaxies. He's the creator of all these things. Paul has totally avoided their question. Remember, they're asking about what happens to the body, and he's like, I can't answer your question about the body. But if you want to talk about bodies, I know the creator of all the bodies. And that's the most important thing. That's where your focus needs to be. I can't answer what's going to happen in the future. Who has any idea 
what a resurrected body looks like in the first place. God does, but I don't. So don't ask me. Paul couldn't answer it. I'm not going to answer it. You know, with Jesus, we assume that he had some, some form of a transitional body because when he rose from the dead and he appeared to the 500 and he appeared to the disciples, the disciples didn't even recognize him at first. So there was a change in his physical earthly body into this next body that they couldn't recognize him. Yet at the same time, he still had the scars in his hands because he let them touch the scars in the hands to say, look, I'm real, this is Jesus, I'm that guy. When Jesus goes to heaven, I don't think he probably had scars in his hands. So... I believe that it was probably some transitional body that was a... I don't know. What does a resurrected body look like? Paul's point is simply this. Think of the extraordinary. The rich diversity of all the things that we've just mentioned here that we call bodies. And if God is that creative, surely he knows how to create a resurrection body. I think we're in good hands. Trust him. Verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, Sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. All right, let's break this down for a second. There will be nothing wicked, nothing flawed, nothing imperfect in what is to come. Our baptism that he spoke about represents that transition. We recognize people as non-believers for the things that they what do i mean that's a normal thing when you meet someone what's like one of the first questions that you ask them so what do you do what do you do you see the non-believer and the believer were born with a dead spirit right you were born dead because you inherited that from adam when adam was created in genesis chapter 2 i believe verse 7 it says god breathed life into him and he had this spirit inside him that was full of life and he had this communication with god and he hung out with god and he was one with god as was eve but then He ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as Matt was talking about, when he was instructed not to, and sin entered in the world. And at that moment, Adam and Eve died. Not physically, but spiritually. They became separated from God because they disobeyed him. Sin entered in the world. Then everybody came from Adam and Eve, and so you inherited a sinful nature from Adam. You inherited a sinful... No one taught you how to sin. It was natural for you. 
It was your nature. No one taught you. It's just who you were. You were born dead. You were born separated from God. But because of our belief in Jesus, in this room right here, if you believe this is what we started out talking about, that creed, if you believe in Jesus, you are made into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, old things passed away. My sinful nature passed away. I no longer have a sinful nature. I still sin, I get it, I still sin, but I no longer have a sinful nature. I get it. But I was made a new creation. And so now, when I come into this room, look, you were viewed, you were viewed based upon what you do as a non-believer, but now that you're a believer, I look at you totally different. I look at you totally different. I look at you as a spiritual being. We're no longer viewed in this room by the things that we do. I view you, Mike, as a holy, righteous, redeemed man because Christ did that in you. I view you, this room, as holy, righteous, and redeemed because that's who Christ made you. He made you holy, righteous, and redeemed. Not something you receive when you die, but something that you have right now in the very present. And because that's what he did for me, he did it for you, I view you like that. For who you are in Christ. So what you do no longer defines you. <laughs> that should have just relieved a lot of pressure from you. So what you do no longer defines you. But who you are, who you are greatly impacts what you do. Who you are, if you know your identity, if you know your identity, it greatly impacts what you do and then it impacts others. He, he goes on to say, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's what we just talked about, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The last Adam, that would be Jesus, because you see well, what the Scripture does, what Paul does throughout the, his letters, is he defines the first Adam as the one who started sin and everybody inherited it. But the last Adam was able to do the same thing. He was able to like make one sacrifice and you're able to inherit that if you so choose. So this last Adam he's talking about is Jesus. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. First, you are born physically with a spirit that's dead because you inherited that from Adam. But then Jesus came along so that our spirit could have life. You have a living spirit now that can communicate with God and he can communicate with you. Just as Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, you can do that right here in Fishers, Indiana. That's pretty cool. Verse 47, it says, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, like the man of dust. So are those who are of the dust. Born of God, or excuse me, born dead, but separated from God. 
I know that in this room we have experienced death, a physical death. I get it in this room. But this should give you hope and peace to know that this is temporary. There's something beyond this right here. There's a different reality that Paul and Jesus and God is talking about. He says, like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Let me go back and read that. Like a man of dust, so are those who are of the dust, born dead, separated from God. Then it says, like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven, made alive with this spirit inside. That's you. Verse 49. And just as we have been have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. We, we still have these physical bodies, but we're recognized by our living spirit inside of us. I get that. The world is only going to know we are different because because we're more interested in the things above than the things on Facebook. The world's going to know we're different because we're interested in things above than the things that are going on in this world right here. How am I any different if all I talk about is the things of this, of this world? If it's real... It ought to change the way we think about everything in this life. Putting no ultimate allegiance in anything that lasts only for this life. We get to these last few verses right here. It says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. You know there was a church that put that above the nursery door. Did you get that? We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> Sorry, just a little humor there. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. The Paul using this this passage, he says, but flesh and blood, that was a standard Jewish idiom for the finite fallen humanity. That's what that was about. There are literally hundreds of parables in the writings of the rabbis in the early centuries of the common era that began. There was a king of flesh and blood. It's talking about their finite fallen humanity. And the moment that you read that, you know that what follows is going to be a comparison usually from a lesser to a greater or something about the nature of human kings with something that is true all the more about God as king. So hang on. Flesh and blood does not mean embodied then here. It means finite fallen humanity cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that which is imperishable. So Paul is pursuing this same line of argumentation. 
Verse 53, it says, For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. He quoted Isaiah 25, verse 8. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? He just quoted Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. You see, the church at Corinth was consumed with this idea of death. It terrified them. Back then, they died at an early age. There was a lot of illnesses going on. Today, we live in a pandemic and we have death statistics all around us. There's an anxiety and a depression that's consuming us because of the thought of death. We're living in that world right now that the church at Corinth was experiencing. And he says this, verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Man, I wish I wasn't running out of time. The sting of death is sin. It is because of our sin that death entered into this world. We just talked about that. And what gives sin its power is the law. The law came along so that sin would increase. There was Romans 5.20, Paul says that. Did you get this? The law came along so sin would increase. I was driving here and I was, what's the Manford Man song? Blinded by the light. It was on my radio. Blinded by the light. And he says, Mama said, don't look into the sun. But what's the next line? But mama, it's oh so fun. Because when mama says don't do something, it's fun to do it. When it says wet paint and don't touch, what do you do? You touch the paint. When mama says stay out of the cookie jar, oh, you're thinking about the cookie jar and you, wanna, you can't stop thinking about the cookie jar. That's what the law does. The law came along so that sin would increase. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The law came along so sin would increase. This is the corruptible. The incorruptible is that God gives you freedom. That's you. That's this in this room. You're the incorruptible. God's given you freedom. You live your life by the Spirit, and there is no law that pertains to you if you live your life by the Spirit last few verses, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, throughout the New Testament and particularly throughout Paul's letters, the whole eschatology teaching, which is the teaching about end times, and the last days, is never given simply to satisfy someone's curiosity. They don't talk about this to give us the answers about how it's going to play out because nobody really knows. There's all sorts of views. Some believe that Jesus already came back at 70 AD. Some believe that he's going to come back in the future. No one really knows how this plays out. But what Paul's saying here about talking about the end times, it appears in context of encouragement, of encouraging those that are dealing with stress and anxiety and depression and death. 
that bumper sticker that life is hard and then you die. You know what I'm talking about. Should be, it should be something else. Life is short, life is hard, and then you die. And then it gets fantastic if you're a follower of Jesus. I also have the, the quote from Braveheart. Every man dies, but not every man lives. In everything you hold dear, in everything that is trivial, ask yourself, what does it mean to make this choice in light of the fact that I'm going to live forever? <laughs> is my post, is my opinion have any impact on the, the fact that I'm going to live my life for eternity? I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know. I do know this, is that Jesus was buried and he was resurrected and he tells me that I'm going to be buried and I'm going to be resurrected. I already have been spiritually. I already have been spiritually, and because I have been spiritually, it allows me to walk this life here on earth abundantly today. And that's all Paul's saying is, I encourage you, stay focused on things above, not on the things that's going on in this world. Jesus, we love you. Uh, that church at Corinth taught us a lot about morality about corruption about missing it but Paul you spoke to Paul and you've spoken to us and you just to keep encouraging us with our identity in Christ I pray that in this room right here even today even this week that we come to know you more because of what you've done for us and that literally when we walk through this room and we walk with each other, that we can see each other for who we are spiritually, not based upon what we do. Teach us that today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.